Welcome to What Are You Reading, a podcast dedicated to leadership development through a commitment to reading. This is your host, Bridget Calhoun. Today, we are honored to have the Sergeant Major of the Army join us. Sergeant Major of the Army Michael A. Grinston was sworn in as the 16th Sergeant Major of the Army on August 9, 2019. He has held every enlisted leadership position in artillery, ranging from cannon crew member to command sergeant major. He is a native of Jasper, Alabama, and enlisted in the Army in 1987. As the sergeant major of the Army, SMA Grinston is the Army Chief of Staff's personal advisor on matters affecting the enlisted force. He devotes the majority of his time to advocating for initiatives designed to develop engaged leaders who build cohesive teams that are highly trained, disciplined, and mentally and physically fit. SMA Grinston's deployments include Operations Desert Storm and Desert Shield, Iraqi Freedom, New Dawn, Inherent Resolve, Enduring Freedom, and Kosovo. He previously served as the Command Sergeant Major for the 1st Infantry Division, I-Corps, and U.S. Army Forces Command. Sergeant Major, thank you so much for joining us today. No, thank you for having me. So the first question we ask our guests is, what are you currently reading? Ooh, yeah, normally that's a, that's an easy question. Um, I've got two books, I guess. Uh, one, which is much better, uh, I've kind of focused my time on this one, is Upstream, and it is really good. I think, you know, my public affairs NCO who gave it to me, uh, Sergeant Rainier, it's a very good book by Dan Heath, I think I get his name right, so... So I guess you want me to say what's good about this book, Sarbader. <laughs> so um, it's um, the, the opening story really captured uh, my attention. And it talks about how to solve problems. So it's two people, you know, the opening story just really got me was there's two, it could be men, women on a beach, and then there's this child drowning. So they, they jump in, they save the, the child, and then, and then along comes another child and they're struggling, they're drowning. So you know, they pull them out and then another one comes and they pull the, the kid out. And then eventually one of the people gets out of the river and the other guy goes, what are you going? You're going to help me get these kids out of the water. And uh, he goes, I'm going upstream to find out who's throwing the, the kids in the water. So the book's premise is in three basic principles are how to solve problems. And we have problem blindness. And in the story, you see clearly you think the problem is kids are drowning, but it's really somebody's throwing them in the. And how do you get to where the root cause of the problem is? So that problem blindness could be in suicides. So the other day I took a brief, and that's why, again, I love this book. And somebody goes, Our problem is our suicides are increasing. And when you read the book, you would say when you identify that as the problem, you're just jumping in the water, pulling the child out. It's because that's actually not the problem, right? That that's the outcome, that's the results. You didn't see the person throw the, the child in the water. You're just seeing that, yeah, somebody's struggling. I'm gonna pull them out of the water. So how do we get past and actually really identify the problem? And sometimes those long-term problems are really hard. And you know, and it takes time. And then what the book talks about is how do you actually assess that something didn't happen? And, and that's really difficult. You you said about my what I really want to do is a cohesive team. If I built a cohesive team, how will I know it worked if 
there was no suicides. There's no su sexual assault, sexual harassment. How do you assess and quantify something that didn't happen? And that's what the book talks about. So identifying the problem talks about problem blindness. And the second thing, again, it's like they wrote this book just for the Sergeant Major of the Army, was ownership. Who's going to solve the problem? Who owns this issue? Again, just for this one, when I look at suicides, who owns this? Is it just the Sergeant Major of the Army or is it all leaders in the Army? And if we all don't own that, first, I don't I can't identify the actual problem. Maybe the actual problem is we need to seek behavioral health before I have a, a serious problem. Maybe it's we need to do more education when soldiers come in. May, and But that's a long term solution to get to the problem blindness. But if somebody doesn't own it, you'll never actually get the problem right. And you'll and you're going to continuously just dive in that water to solve the, the problem. And then at the end, the third blocking thing for uh, in the book is like tunnel vision. You know, it's so far away, it's tunneling. It's not me. It's somebody else's problem. Right now, I am so busy jumping in that water, grabbing people out of the water, putting them on over here that I can't see that I need to go upstream. So those are the three things in the book. And it's, it's really enlightening on how to look at a, a problem, a complex problem, and then how to solve it in the long term, which is extremely hard. Because if you did it right, you wouldn't actually know you did it. Again, how do you measure that you did something successful if it didn't happen? So that's kind of the premise of the book. And that's why I really like it and would encourage anybody to read it. Well, thanks for sharing that one, Star Major, and especially the stories of how you're already able to apply that to your day-to-day -day job, because that's one thing we really try to promote on this podcast is that reading just doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's wisdom and lessons that we can gain from it, and they're definitely applicable to leadership and a lot of other things that we do in the military. And it seems like you're someone who's probably read a lot over the course of their career. So could you share any specific book or even a couple of books that had a big impact on your development as a junior soldier? Again, there's a whole bunch of books out there. Uh, don't tell anybody I'm from Alabama and know how to read, so it's okay. We don't like it. We don't want to let that secret out of the bag. So the, one of my recent favorite books, and you can tell that I'm really, I really didn't get a degree in psychology and sociology, but... I, I found over time when I was a younger uh, soldier, I would read books, sometimes just read them to be entertaining. As I get older, it's all about, you know, making me, you know, a better soldier. And it really, really helps me as a sergeant major of the Army is, you know, I've been in the Army so long, maybe I can't see the problem. Um, maybe if there's something I can read that's not Army that helps me not be part of the problem. So I'm in this. How do I think differently? And I think for me, reading actually does that. It gives me a completely different perspective from somebody that's not in the Army. That's kind of, so my next book, you're going to say, yeah, it sounds like another book, um, like the other one you just talked about. So this one, again, one of my favorite books, and I would recommend this to, to anybody. It's, it's not the full name of the book, but it starts off with Mindsets by Carol Dweck. And it it basically talks about two kinds of mindsets. And the first one we'll say is a fixed mindset. And in the book, it says, if you have a fixed mindset, 
you remember those kids, uh, and I remember this when I was growing up, you know, you did something, you're really good at it. I was, oh, you're a natural, and you're just so good at it. So that creates a mindset that you're a natural, you're so good at it. You don't have to practice. So what happens that over time, if I have a fixed mindset, if I'm good at something, I'm naturally good at it. I don't have to practice. You you had, even in high school, when you got to high school, you had those, oh, you didn't even have to study and you aced that test. And the fixed mindset, if I had this mindset, meaning if I'm really good at something, I would just naturally be good at it. And therefore, I wouldn't be willing to try something new. And I'm also afraid to raise my hand. If I'm afraid to raise, because I don't want to sound, because all my life I've said, and in my mind, I'm fixed, is that I'm really good at something. It should be naturally given to me. And if I raise my hand and I sound silly, then it doesn't go with my mantra that I'm, I am so brilliant just because, and I don't have to study. So that's the fixed mindset. But what I like to see is, uh, and what I really like about the book, is called the growth mindset, is it's, it says, well, I'm not good at that. And maybe I am. Maybe I have some natural ability, but it took a lot of hard work and I got to really practice. But maybe there's things I'm not good at, but I'm not just good at it now. And I wouldn't be afraid to raise my hand. Near rather somebody says, raise your hand, goes, I'm going to ask a question. I don't know. And then people chuckle. Oh, I can't believe you didn't know that. But that person is not afraid to ask a question. That person actually wants to, to know the answer. And if I knew all the answers, why would I come to class? You know, it's like, this doesn't make any sense. Of course, I don't know the answer. That's why I'm asking you a question. And they're not afraid to do that. And, and you grow over time and you're not good at something, but you try real hard. You ask questions and then you keep growing in your mind. And I think as I get older, when I look at who I want as leading, you know, senior SAR majors, I want those that have that growth mindset that says, I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to raise my hand. I don't know the answer, but I want to grow. I'm willing to read and grow to become better. I may make mistakes and I'm not afraid to make a mistake, but I'm going to grow through that and learn as opposed to take me, for example, I'm really good at artillery. <laughs> so therefore I can only be in an artillery battalion. Uh, so that, that clearly was not the path that I was chosen. Uh, but I, I think if I had a fixed mindset, I would have not, I would have capped out at a battalion CSN because you're going to get in those jobs that you don't know the answers for all the tests and you got to grow and you got to learn, you got to really study and you got to re real hard and then you got to practice because you're not an expert at it anymore. And you got to continuously do that all the way to be, to me, in my opinion, the Sergeant Major Army. So that book by Carol Dweck, I think is a phenomenal book for any leader that just wants to be a better leader. And a matter of fact, you know, I wish my kids would read this book. You know, don't be afraid to raise your hand. Don't be afraid to try something new. You're not good at it now, but you can be great at it if you just try. So I would give it to everybody in out of the army. And that's just one of my really favorite books about being growing and growing as a human being. And having that growth mindset really goes hand in hand with being a lifelong learner, which I know has been a pillar of your mentorship that you've talked about quite a lot, Sergeant Major. So could you talk a little bit more about the importance of being a lifelong learner and with that, how continuing education fits into the new Army People's Strategy and some of the other initiatives that you've been working on? 
being a lifelong learner is is super important, especially the higher you go as a leader. Like I said, if I, I got here and I'm trying to solve these really hard, complex problems, and I think learning helps me go outside. If you're not trying to grow in your position, I would be very worried about, I mean, all the way down to platoon leader, uh, staff sergeant, you know, I got here and I'm really good and I'm not trying to be better. You know, it's like, whoa, wait a minute, whoa. And a lot of times people go with, I, I love fitness, but that's, you know, one of those things you said, physical and mental fitness. And I think that growth in the people first is as, how do we assess people over time that are willing to grow? You don't get it right. So you do an assessment and we watched this at BCAP. So you do an assessment and you could get a coach. Some people didn't ask for a coach. I would say those who aren't the, the ones that would want to grow. So how do we look at our assessments over time and build somebody that may not be perfect now, but maybe they haven't reached their stride. They hadn't got the maturity. They didn't get to that job that they could really shine in. And how could we do that? So I think it's what I just talked about is all through our talent management task force and then people first uh, building better leaders. I think if we get better leaders, they'll have better cohesive teams. They'll be more trained. They'll be more disciplined, more fit. So what I just talked about in that mindset all throughout people first task force and how we do talent management, that book is really shaped on how I look at uh, pretty much a lot of the talent and picking leaders over time in the last, I don't know, three or four years. Absolutely, Sergeant Major. And as you've explained it, it's very integrated. The logic certainly flows that the education relates to talent and growth and leadership. And I know that you've also been working on some additional options for credentialing, civil schooling, and broadening assignments for the enlisted side. So would you be able to tell us a little bit about that, please? Oh, sure. The credentialing is, is was really exciting. It still is. <laughs> so. Uh, last time I checked, I think we had 1,600 credentials, and in uh, the credentialing online tool, and so you can go on there and not just being a lifelong learner, but maybe this is still learning. You know, it's not that one is different than the other, but is it always taking a college class, or do I need that credential to go do this? And that's what I, you know, was really excited when. You know, SMA Daily started with credentialing, and then you know, I could really push it over the, you know, the hill and get it. And now it's uh, a program, and we've got money for it. So it's not just about getting tuition and assistance for college, but if I don't want to take English 101, but I want to do this skill set, and I can get that credential, I think those those credentials could be more valuable than just going out and getting the traditional education where I take all the the courses that I would do in a university. We, we've been doing this, we've worked that, we've got all the funding that we need and it's it's available. And, you know, I'm, I'm always excited about doing credentialing. I think a lot of other soldiers are very excited about that too, because it's a little bit more manageable sometimes in trying to work towards an associate or a bachelor's and you can immediately deliver upon some of the skills that you learned from credentialing. So I think that's a very welcomed introduction within the Army Talent Management Program. And you spoke a little bit earlier about some of the assessment programs. So would you be able to give us a quick update on where the Army stands with its Sergeant Major Assessment Program and the first Sergeant Talent Alignment Assessment? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I know everybody's excited about this. <laughs> so, no, um, 
we we did one iteration of the SAR major assessment program in November. We just we just ran them through the battalion commander's assessment program. <laughs> Said, hey, congratulations! So they went through the same process. We needed to learn on what you know what would we look at differently, like some assessment question. You know, how are you going to do in command? That's probably not going to work because SAR major is not in command. So. What, what things do we need to change on that? So we did that pilot in November for battalion CSMs or SAR majors. Then we did the first SAR talent uh, assessment at Fort Bragg. We did that in December. And I think Korea just did one on their own, which is uh, really nice. It wasn't under the Army umbrella So for a first SAR assessment. So in the future, right now, we're going to do a binding SAR major assessment program in November, but it's going to be at the brigade level. So that's uh, that's going to be the first really official, you know, no kidding, this isn't a prototype or something else. This is, we're going to do it. I'm not sure if we're going to call it a pilot or something, but the, we're doing one in November at the brigade level. I think we're still working out when and where and what's the timing for the battalion level. So we're still working on that. The first sergeant's assessment, I think we're, we're almost complete and we'll get that probably in the, the next year, calendar year 22, not fiscal year, so that how we can do it, we, I think the right level is at the senior mission command level, and they just bring those folks in, but how does that fit in the OML? So we got we got the how to do it, now we got to do with the what, like how do we apply it across an installation that, you know, like the SAR major or the 82nd runs that program, they assess everybody on the installation and how do they fill them in to a first sergeant position. And I still think that's the most critical position for enlisted is to get that right. Because most people live in a company battery troop level. And I, I believe the first sergeant normally has a lot more time in grade and time in service than their officer counterpart, not saying they're good or bad. The commander is still the commander. But when you have a very senior NCO, and if we get that wrong, it's just, I just find that to be a disaster. So we're really looking at to get that implemented in the next year so we can go to that. But uh, we're doing assessments all the way. We changed how we done, we're doing promotion boards. We, we're not coming in and I don't want people to come in and tell me all about you anymore. Talk about your soldiers. How well do you know your soldiers? Uh, what about all their PT scores, not your PT score? So we're trying to get some of that assessment down at the sergeant and the staff sergeant level. So it's not about what you did. Maybe you're great at your PT score, but if the rest of your, your team is terrible, is that somebody I want as a staff sergeant? So we're looking at all that. So we've got a lot of work to do. It's all coming. And like I said, that first one officially is, is November of this year. That's great to hear, Sergeant Major, especially your comments about promotion boards changing where you're asking NCOs about their subordinates. And it reminds me of what you said earlier with the Dan Heath book of trying to get at the root of problems. And sometimes when you dig that further level down, you may be able to catch some of the warning signs of those corrosives that you had talked about earlier. Not that that's the point of a promotion board is to try to grill people on things like that. But I think if that's another mechanism that we can have leaders at every level look out on their forces a little bit more, knowing that they'll be held to account in another way, then hopefully that will help us all swim upstream to kind of keep with the theme from Dan Heath. But shifting gears a little bit, I'd like to talk next about the Army's recruiting and community outreach efforts. You know, we talk about being people first, and of course that applies to people that are in the force, but we also want to continue 
to bring in talent. So the current recruiting initiative focuses on finding your path and asks, what's your warrior? So how has the Army adjusted its recruiting efforts in the midst of COVID-19 and all of the extensive force modernization that we're also taking care of? Well, you, you know, we were really, really, really worried about this, you know, especially, I don't know, March, April last year, the whole country started dealing with COVID and like, what are we going to do? How are we going to do recruiting? You know, we even took a small pause in sessions, like bringing people in the Army, they're not going to basic, which uh, we very, we haven't done that in the 32 years I've been in the Army. So we were really afraid of this, but what we Wow, we learned a lot. So, you know, what your warrior campaign is good, but what we found more is that, especially our younger generation, they live in the digital age. They d- live in the digital space. So, how do we go to them and where they, where they fit in the digital space, and how do we meet them there because they're not able to come into the office? And we got these offices you know, around the globe. You just like want people to come in here. The civilians that we want to recruit, that's not where they're at. That you know. Clifford, you know, we couldn't do that anymore with COVID. So we found where there was some, you know, antiquated things we needed to do. So now with what you're aware, you know, when you, you scan on there, you know, it says, here's what, based off what you're saying and what you see, these are things that are good for you. And it's a little bit more about your interest. And then here's the five jobs that you would go in. And that's all in the website. And then the little things like, for me, it was pretty frustrating. Said, well, if I go to, I don't know, any page, it goes, hey, you want to chat with somebody? Hey, you want to chat with somebody? You know, as long as you're on there, she just keeps coming around. You try to close it. It's like, why don't we have that same kind of feature if somebody comes up and says, hey, would you like to talk to a recruiter? Individualizing what someone might see on the page when they get into a certain page, showing them what those skill sets are. It's very intuitive. And then being able to reach out and chat with somebody recruiter and you don't have to pick up a phone and hey call your recruiter which you know my daughter she's 18 i call her she didn't answer i sent her text she answers in two seconds so they're not going to answer you know they're not going to call so again how do we you know move to the information age that's what we really learned those soldiers those recruiters out there that can really operate in social media and our traditional advertising has changed uh you know putting it on sports center was great for me and i'm 52 Probably most of the generation are sitting there watching some TV, probably not. So even our advertising has to go to a different format. We're still doing some there, but there's other ways. So I'm really excited about what we've done and we've met our session goals last year and we're on track to meet our sessions goals this year amongst uh, a global pandemic. And it's really attributable to our recruiters and how they adjusted how they recruit. Absolutely. And that's great to hear about all the innovation that occurred. I was poking around the website the other day, just prepping for our interview. And I did see one of those little chat windows open up, which (laughs) I had never seen before. That didn't happen when I was in high school or anything. So I think that's just another great way to make ourselves accessible to that younger population. So my second for last question for you, Sarah Major, is balancing the people first strategy with readiness. Obviously, we've been investing a lot in assessing and growing talent and things like that. Has that had an impact on readiness one way or the other, do you think, or have we been able to balance both? For me, I think, uh, I always I have a little, when I brief this, I have like a little side as people equals readiness. <laughs> you know, we're in the United States Army, 
And we equip our soldiers. We don't put people in something, you know, it's like how, you know, how can we give the soldier a better rifle? You know, can I make the you know LMTV seat more comfortable? Can I make sure the automation is correct? So that's, for me, when some people would question it, it's like, oh, you know, we're doing away with readiness. Oh, I don't know. In the United States Army, we're about our people. So if we get our people right, that is more readiness. If you take care of me and I've got to, if my wife has a good place to stay, you know, it's like two things when you do to every post and everybody that's ever PCS knows. First is where am I going to live? And second, if you have kids, where are they going to go to school? When I think of people first, if I take those two off and I can do better with housing, if we can do better with the barracks, and I can do better with how soldiers move into the barracks and their schools and their kids are taken care of, I'm more ready. I'm ready to go. If that gets, you know, you give me a house and kids are in school first day, I'm good. I'm going to work the next day. So it makes me ready as an individual, which builds overall readiness. And for me, it's not an either or, it's a it's an and, and we have to do and. We have to take care of our people. We have to make sure that they have a quality healthcare because we don't, you don't want to deploy and then somebody doesn't have good healthcare and then they have to redeploy. I, to me, that's, that's kind of how I see the readiness. When we get the people first and some of those quality of life things, that actually makes us more ready. But, you know, what it doesn't equal is it doesn't mean we don't train. You know, so when people say people first, uh, uh, people first, I was in the field. Yeah, you're still going to go to the field. That's that actually is putting people first, because if you're highly trained and if we were to go to combat, my goal is to bring you all back. And if you're not highly trained, I don't think that's putting people first, because uh, if I give you that job, you want to be able to make sure you you are better than anybody else that touches foot on that battlefield. And that's putting people first. So it doesn't mean you don't train. So to me, it's all it, it, people first is readiness. Well, Sergeant Major, we're so grateful that you're able to spend some time with us today. And we like to ask our guests if they have any parting words of wisdom or encouragement or any other book recommendations that they would have for our audience. I'll end with a book because, again, lifelong learning. For those that are close to me, you know, I, I do like to to read some other things, is um, How to Be a More Inclusive Leader. It's a really good book. It's kind of a short read. And I even wrote down pages that I you know, wanted to reference because, and I kept this, it's kind of a wrinkled piece of paper I got in front of me. It was a really good book. It really meant something to me. It says, leadership is not leadership unless it's uncomfortable. And it really spoke to me, especially in, you know, so remember the title of the book is how to be a more inclusive leader. And you may be uncomfortable and you may not, if you don't pick people that look like you and you don't have people around you that just go, oh, that was great. Yeah, keep doing it. That's terrible. You know, so it really spoke to how do I, you know, as a as a leader, be more inclusive and being comfortable being uncomfortable with someone that may have a different opinion. And how do I value that? And what the book said is that companies, remember this is not an army book, it said uh, not uh, like army company, but a company that has a more inclusive team that is more diverse and inclusive, meaning, yeah, I can have diversity, but I'm just not gonna listen to you. So that's not helpful. <laughs> so, um, if I'm if I got diversity and I'm inclusive, meaning I have diversity and I actually listen to those those different opinions, they're more productive. It's like 60% more productive than other companies. So not only do we have to 
be inclusive. We got to be able, willing to be uncomfortable with somebody that will have a completely different opinion than mine. Value that, and then it, it makes you a better team. And I think that would be my parting shot. Would be uh, for all of us. How can we be the leader that's actually having leadership and it's uncomfortable because I'm going to have an inclusive team that's a diverse team. It may not look like me, may not act like me, but uh, it, it gives a fresh new opinion on something, a problem that we're trying to solve, and we're just going to be better army for it. So that would be my closing is that it's one of those things uh, I've read recently that I thought was really good. Well, thank you so much, Sergeant Major. We greatly appreciate your time that you've given us today, all the book recommendations and just updates on where the Army is headed. Thank you again. And for all of our listeners, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of What Are You Reading? A podcast produced through partnership with DOD Reads. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, and share it. Leave us a comment with your answer to the question, what are you reading? Also, visit dodreads.com for free books, book reviews, interviews with your favorite authors, and many more free professional development resources. See you next week. Thank you.